the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. AM 560, The Answer. Get down to business with Shalom Klein, the show for business and jobs. Now, the champion of networking, the advocate of jobs, the guru of business, your host, Shalom Klein. We are all about small business, jobs, and entrepreneurship and business. We talk a lot about business here. You're on with Get Down to Business, and I'm your host, Shalom Klein. Remember, you can always download podcasts from Get Down to Business on my website at ShalomKlein.com. And while you are there, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at ShalomKlein. It's a live show this week. You could call into the show, ask questions, share your comments at 312-642-5600, 312-642-5600. We've got a fantastic lineup of guests, and I am joined first by my friend Colleen Sen. Colleen uh, has written a number of books, actually another book coming out real soon, a frequent speaker on the subjects of, of many, many things. But specifically, uh, lately, she's been talking quite a bit about the uh, the growing phenomenon of food trucks. So I want to certainly spend a few minutes uh, discussing that. But Colleen Sen is a Canadian-American translator and author, and she has specialized in Indian cuisine, something that I absolutely love. So Colleen, it is a great honor to have you here uh, on the show on Get Down to Business this evening. Oh, thank you so much for having me on, Shalom. Absolutely. So, Colleen, you've uh, you've written uh, quite a bit, and it's really been fascinating uh, following your writing. But, Colleen, I'm always interested in the story behind the person. How did you get interested in the world of of a culinary uh, uh, cuisine and uh, and and cultures uh, around the world? Well, um, it was it started as kind of a sideline. Uh, I worked for 35 years at an energy research institute, but I always liked to write. And um, I, um, I used to do freelancing, you know, for the Chicago Sun-Times, the old Daily News, Chicago Tribune. And I'd write a lot about Indian food because um, nobody was really writing much about it. Uh, as you know, my husband, Ashish, um, is Indian, and his mother was um, a, a well-known writer in India um, and wrote a lot about food. So it was kind of natural that I would um, start doing that. And then when I retired a few years ago, I decided just to devote myself full-time to writing and to write books, which I find much more satisfying. So it's really turned into a whole new other career. <laughs> it, it's, uh, And we're very lucky that, uh, that you have turned it into a career, and I know that you have some exciting works that are uh, that are coming very, very soon. Uh, so we're certainly looking forward to, uh, to, to following your upcoming writing. I know in the past, actually, a little-known fact about our uh, our guest Colleen Sen is that you've actually participated in chess competitions as well. Um, so uh, there, there's a lot uh, behind your story, isn't there? Well, actually, it's funny. That's how I got into writing. Um, <laughs> now you mention it that um, you know, in my, my PhD is in Slavic languages, although I've never used it. And um, in the in this. The early 70s, you remember when Bobby Fischer was the really big news. He was challenging and beating the Russians for the first time. So a lot of Russian chess players used to come to Chicago. So we had Korchnoi and we had um, Karpov, who became world champion. We had uh, Petrosyan. 
So I was kind of recruited as their interpreter. And I remember once we took them to meet the old Mayor Daly. Um, we took him to his office, and uh, Judge Layton, who was, um, I don't know, if he was a, a very distinguished judge and a chess player, so he arranged all that. So then I just started, uh, the Daily News was really interested in people who could write about chess, but not like moves and things like that, but from a human standpoint. And since I'd met all these chess players, I could, you know, write about them, I'd do profiles. So in a sense, that's how I even got into writing. And um, one more thing was Ms. Magazine had just started, so somebody said, why don't you try them? So I sent them a, you know, a letter, and they uh, they wanted an article right away. So that was kind of my break into, you know, big-time magazine writing. So it all came from chess. It's, uh, it's, it's fascinating, and uh, I know one of your books is uh, Turmeric, the Wonder Spice, but you've actually gotten quite a bit of acclaim for your book, uh, Feast and Fast, the History of Food in India. Again, as I mentioned, as I introduced you, uh, something I'm very, very fascinated by, and uh, Vogue included that book in the list of its top uh, 16, well, its 16 best cookbooks of 2015, and wrote that it's an irresistible addition to your kitchen shelf. The history inside is richer than Indian, any Indian dish that you've ever tasted. But, Colleen, we are uh, in Chicago, and uh, Chicago has uh, quite a bit of food uh, ourselves. But uh, many uh, of our listeners are in the business community, and many of them work downtown Chicago. And, and uh, they walk up and down the street, and certainly there are many uh, fantastic restaurants to pop in for lunch or to take a client out to eat. But interestingly enough, the real uh, scene is actually not in those restaurants anymore. It's actually the food trucks, and that's taking place around the world. But if you don't mind, Colleen, let's spend a few minutes talking about the Chicago food truck scene. What have you discovered, and, and are you predicting that this is a bubble that's going to pop, or is it likely to continue? Oh, that's such a good question. Well, you know, uh, Shalom, I live in, um, you know, the far north side, and uh, I, we don't get many food trucks up here, at least that I see. Most of them are downtown and, you know, around colleges. And um, I think that um, Chicago has kind of lagged behind cities like um, Austin, Texas, and Portland, Oregon, which have hundreds of food trucks. And, I mean, they're food truck meccas. Um, I don't know what the number is in Chicago, but... Uh, it certainly isn't anywhere near there because of um, because of regulation. Um, there's been um, the, the, the you know the city council. There's kind of fairly stringent regulations about where a food truck can operate, how it can operate, and things like that. Although I think that uh, these regs are being loosening because this is a you know not just for business people who want a quick bite, but for tourists too. It's a real tourist attraction. So uh, I hope that's something that. Um, develops more. There's one interesting thing um, that, you know, restaurants have been afraid of two food trucks because they say it takes away business. But actually, the Labor Department here did a study and they found that where there are food trucks, it actually enhances employment throughout the entire industry, including restaurants. So it doesn't really hurt them. It really benefits everybody. Very, very interesting. It's uh, it, you're right. It, it's it's an enhancement to the business community. It's an it's an enhancement to the uh, to the food scene, and uh, and hopefully we'll we'll see it uh, spread throughout the city and might I add the suburbs as well. But Colleen, you have uh, you certainly have a passion for travel, and you've explored uh, in more places than uh, than most people that I know. Where is your favorite um, foodie scene around the world? Oh gosh. Uh, that's a good question. I mean, I go to India all the time because my books are kind of bestsellers there, which is, I just 
totally didn't expect. This is just a, an amazing thing. So I've gone, I, go, I was three times in the past year, I'll be going again. So I guess I know the Indian street food scene pretty well. You know, street food is such an important part for, to most of the world. I mean, people get about a, you know, maybe half of all their meals just by street, buying street food because it's cheap and it's, a, you know, it's, it's nutritious and it's readily available. So, um, I, but I think, you know, Southeast Asia also has fabulous street food. That's great. Thailand, Malaysia, places like that. K- Colleen, since so many of our listeners are from the uh, the business community, some might call uh, some of the folks that have uh, called into the show in the past entrepreneurs, do you believe, again, sort of switching gears back to Chicago, do you, be- do you believe that Chicago has a strong, and, and I'm careful, carefully phrasing this question, but a strong enough entrepreneurial community, specifically in the restaurant world. Um, I, I know so many, uh, so many cities. You seem to, you seem to see uh, not just the chains, but actually a lot of just mom and pop operations, families that decide to open up. Maybe they'll sample things with a food truck, see what the uh, what the market's like. Do you believe that Chicago? compares to other cities, perhaps in the United States that you visited? Huh, that's a good question. Um, you know, a lot of the food trucks are really opened by, by young people. I mean, I think, I think most of them are actually that I've seen, you know, and because this, this requires less capital than opening a, um, you know, brick-and-mortar restaurant. So um, that certainly is an intra- attraction for people like that. I really haven't seen any statistics about how the food truck industry is growing in Chicago. Um, I wish I'd, you know, beefed up on that a little bit more. But um, I think Chicago, I mean, you know, I, I asked you, we weren't going to talk about my next book, which is the <laughs> Chicago Food Encyclopedia, but I have to say that Chicago has been in the forefront of innovation and in every aspect of the food of the food industry. Sure. I mean, from the 19th century, so many things have been developed here. This is really, um, you know, a driving force. And I think that, you know, it's one, it's probably the great food city in, in America. I would say that even better than New York or San Francisco because there is so much um, innovation both on the very high end and on the ethnic end, too. I mean, we have great ethnic food scene here. Sure. Well, Colleen, I don't want to give it all away because I want to make sure our listeners uh, certainly will uh, will find your new book. Um, but also, I know you have an upcoming uh, speaking engagement actually in the Skokie area that hopefully our listeners can come out to. And uh, we are running out of time, so I want to make sure that we share yeah. that information. Colleen, when will you... Um, and your co-author uh, be uh, be speaking about this Chicago food scene. Well, it's going to be on street food. It's going to be at the Skokie Public Library on uh, Saturday, October fourteenth, between one and two thirty. And I should say that the book that um, we're, we were talking about is called Street Food: Everything You Need to Know About Open Air Stands, Carts, and Food Trucks Around the Globe. So, if I can put a little plug to that, absolutely check it out. Okay. I know it's available very, very readily available online. So check that out. Um, Colleen, I can't thank you enough for your time. We'll be sure to continue the discussion in future weeks. But coming up after the break, we have got uh, Brian Van Flandern. Also, fantastic conversation. We'll be right back. Back on the show, all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. You're listening to Get Down to Business, and I'm your host, Shalom Klein. Remember, you can download podcasts from Get Down to Business on my website at shalomkline.com. But I'm thrilled to be joined 
by the man that uh, the Food Network has uh, has called America's top mixologist, Brian Van Flandern, uh, is joining us here on Get Down to Business. Brian, we're sticking to this foodie theme, um, but you're sort of taking us to the other end of the spectrum from food to uh, to cocktails. Brian, welcome to the program. Thank you. Delighted to be here. Well, uh, so Brian, um, you are, as we mentioned, uh, you, you've been called America's top mixologist, um, but uh, you've sort of worked your way there. I believe that your plan was actually to become uh, an actor and pursue an acting uh, career. How did you make the the leap from uh, from that to uh, to spending your time uh, teaching uh, and partnering uh, with so many uh, fantastic brands and and companies in building mixology programs? Well. Uh... I know Brian, you are uh, you are not only an expert, and certainly we'll we'll talk about sort of your uh, your uh, your uh, masterpiece uh, recipes. And I know you've created a number of original recipes on your own. But we were just having an earlier conversation with Colleen Sen, a uh, award winning author on the food scene around the world. Uh, I, I'm curious, Brian, sort of continuing that 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 theme. You've you've traveled all over, and I know that your cocktails are served in over 40 countries around the world. In fact, you and I actually met while traveling around the world because of your uh, partnership with the luxury cruise line uh, Seabourne. But how different is the cocktail scene uh, here in the United States uh, around the world? And then I'm also curious, you know, we're broadcasting here in Chicago, but uh, you're on the East Coast, you're, uh, you're in the New York uh, metro area. Uh, what 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 are what sort of analysis do you have on the differences as you've traveled around the country as well? Well, uh, again, the question the, uh, the the cocktail revolution we can say uh, very clearly started either in New York or London. Uh, probably, you know, the history will will decide who who was the first one to really kick it in overdrive. But those two cities really started this revolution, and since then. It has spread like wildfire. What started with a dozen of us became ten dozen, became a hundred dozen, 
and now it's a, a tens upon thousands of thousands of bartenders all around the world. Every major city and most minor ones sport at least one or more craft cocktail bars, and it's all happened in the last fifteen to twenty years. It's really an exciting time in the in the uh, spirits industry and, and to be a bartender, a professional barman. Um, so to answer your question, uh, incredible stuff going on in Germany, in uh, Spain, uh, certainly in Australia, both Sydney and Melbourne and other cities. Um, Tokyo has gotten on board. Even France was a link to the game. Uh, last year, one of their barmen, uh, a bar woman, I should say, just won uh, Diageo World Class. So, um, and of course, in the United States, San Francisco, Chicago, uh, Miami, and it's really filtered down um, I mean, uh, a couple of years ago, I had a client in, Ed, uh, I think it was Edwardsville, uh, south of Chicago and sure. just north of St. Louis. Who knew? Um, <laughs> but they're, they're getting on board with uh, craft cocktails. Uh, and uh, same with the state of Ohio, Illinois, everyone uh, across the country. Is, uh, if, you're, if, if you're not making craft cocktails, you're behind the curve. You're losing out on massive revenue opportunities. So, Brian, do you believe it's possible for a small bar, small restaurant to compete with the with the large chains? I know that you have uh, a very strong relationship uh, with with Thomas Keller, having opened uh, one of those restaurants. Um, and and a lot of the the larger chains, uh, they they have more capacity for 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 launching. Uh, professional mixology programs that can be streamlined with an image with a brand across their many locations what about the the small uh small location in uh, well skokie is very near and dear to my heart in skokie illinois um how, how can a small entrepreneurial restaurant or bar uh really establish a uh, a, a a bar that they could be proud of as well uh well it's a nice segue into my business <laughs> Um, so in 2008, I established uh, a, a uh, global beverage consulting firm designed to do just that. While I certainly cater to major corporations and, and multiple properties for those corporations, I, uh, I also uh, am happy to help out the small guy because my personal philosophy is to kind of spread the word. And I'm, you know, I'm an industry leader, and I want the small guy to, to, to uh, be able to compete with these major corporations. So what you do is you, uh, whether it's me or someone else, you hire a, a talented but up-and-coming uh, young professional mixologist, uh, somebody who, who has a background in flavor profiling, just like a chef, to create an original but uh, tasty craft cocktail program. The natural byproduct of making great craft cocktails is you find yourself using, obviously, fresh ingredients and quality spirits, but you naturally find yourself using less alcohol per cocktail. You're not making it a weak cocktail, you're making it balance, something we haven't seen in 80 years. And the result is that your liquor costs go down, your check averages go up as your guests can have a better experience and they're drinking more. So the bartender wins, the house wins, the guest wins. It's a win-win-win across the board, and they're cost-effective. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, that's fantastic. And uh, I know that, uh, that your company uh, has been involved in consulting, as you mentioned, with uh, with many of the large companies, but certainly the, the bar and uh, Edwardsville, uh, Illinois, I believe that's where you mentioned, and and so many, so many other places. So, uh, so Brian, you've had the opportunity to uh, to travel quite a bit. Um, any uh, any interesting places that you've been that you've been just sort of blown away uh, beyond Edwardsville that uh, perhaps as our listeners get out and uh, they may be out and about for business travel, they may actually have a a quality uh, drink uh, waiting for them at the end of the day. 
Yeah, well, of course, if you're in New York City, uh, I recently uh, redesigned uh, the Plaza Hotel, there, the Palm Court there. Uh, always a great place to go for a cocktail when you're in New York City. But there's some great hidden speakeasies as well, like PDT, Boys Only, Death & Company, Clover Club. These are because a quick Google. But uh, certainly in Chicago, uh, we're seeing that, you know, uh, there's so many great uh, up-and-coming places. Uh, around the world, um, you know, uh, I, I was really impressed with both Tokyo and and Germany. Both of those countries, uh, you know, this, people are very fastidious and very detail-oriented. And so uh, there's a lot of cutting-edge, really cool mixology going on. But um, really, uh, it doesn't make a difference where you are in the world. In most European countries, uh, most uh, countries in the Asian Pacific Rim, and uh, certainly in Australia, and even Latin America and South America are starting to get in tune with this whole uh, you know, mixology culture. Really exciting time. Very, very exciting time. So we have been chatting with the man that, uh, that the Food Network has called America's Top Mixologist, You've uh, written a book uh, that uh, has won awards as the be- best cocktail book in the world in 2009. Uh, so we've been chatting with Brian Van Flandern. Um, really fascinating, fascinating subject, fascinating conversation. And uh, I look forward to, uh, to continuing to follow uh, your, uh, I know you've been uh, on air quite a bit on the Food Network and, 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 other, uh, and other platforms. But uh, Brian, I, I certainly would recommend our listeners get in touch with you if you're, you're involved in the, in the restaurant world. Uh, Brian works with large companies, with small companies. But Brian, you have a website. Uh, we're, we're just about out of time. Yeah. I want to make sure our, our listeners can read a little bit more about you and your work. Of course, the company's Creative Cocktail Consultants, and the, uh, the website is mymixologist.com. Well, that's what I call you, my mixologist. <laughs> there we go, uh, mymixologist.com. Check it out. Uh, lots of great uh, media uh, uh, appearances on the website, but again, check out Brian's website, mymixologist.com. Coming up after the break, we're going to continue our conversation about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. You won't want to miss it. You're listening to Get Down to Business, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Down to Business. We are the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship, powered by our good friends at Tandem HR. And speaking of Tandem HR, I'm thrilled to be joined by Tandem's Senior Director of of Operations, Greg Foss, uh, joining me here in studio with your beautiful family. Greg, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Shalom. Uh, I have to to say, uh, disclaimer over here, that no, your family is not here in studio. Otherwise, we probably would be hearing them. Uh, It's just you here in studio. Yeah, they may be screaming back there, but uh, we'll we'll make it through. Soundproof walls, that's (laughs) right. Well, either way, beautiful family. I'm glad everybody's joining us here. Uh, A lot of fun. So, Greg, how long have you been at Tandem? So I've been five years, so it's, uh, it's, it's uh, always new and exciting and uh, getting ready to get on six. Yeah, speaking of new and exciting, so Tandem has been growing rapidly. Um, in fact, uh, Cranes, uh, I, it's been a frequent thing that I open Cranes uh, Chicago business and see Tandem listed in some, uh, some words of admiration for the, for the growth, for commitment to community, which is quite impressive, and we talk about that here on the program uh, quite a bit, but you have been involved in supporting organizations and educating as well. So, I mean, Greg, you've been around for five years. What in the industry, in the HR and the payroll industries, have you seen sort of change over time that you've been following with interest? So I I think uh, one of the major things that everybody knows about is the Affordable Care Act. It just seems that uh, there's something new in the the news every day, Um, so about whether what Senate's going to do, what Congress is going to do, um, the repeal, replace, the new Trump administration. So there's a lot of things that are, that are kind of uh, hot topic button items. 
So, uh, Greg, you're, uh, I, I know you're very, very knowledgeable, and, and your colleagues have mentioned you many, many times that you're knowledgeable about what's going on. But these days, it seems almost like an impossible task to follow the all of the updates. I know the most recent update today is that uh, the uh, the healthcare of this nation is dependent on one man's surgery um, in Arizona. Um, so when you get when you go home at night with uh, your lovely family, who I, who I was fortunate to meet this evening, are, are you uh, sort of checking out uh, the latest updates uh, of, of news? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's it's, it's uh, just a constant barrage of email updates that uh, you got. You gotta. You got to check. You got to keep up to date because if you miss a few of them, you're going to kind of kind of be left in the dark. That's right. So uh, aside for the Affordable Care Act, which I know so many of our listeners are probably tired of hearing about, there's some local issues that Absolutely. directly impact companies as well. Over these past few weeks, uh, Cook County has uh, has well it started to implement uh, a number of bills relating to minimum wage and uh, sick leave. Uh, if you don't mind, t- tell me the process of the professionals that tandem in in guiding your clients and companies that you work with uh, to make sure that it doesn't become any more of an administrative nightmare than it needs to be. Absolutely. So it's just constant updates. It's updating on uh, what we're hearing, what other companies are doing. Um, that's one of the most important questions or one of the, the biggest questions we get of what are other companies our size doing? How do we make it through this? So it's a lot of a lot of educating about uh, what's happened in the past, what's what we're expecting to happen. Um, we're also with the, the Cook County um, paid sick leave and uh, as well as the minimum wage. Um, it's it's uh, trying to get the the information out there so that uh, lawmakers as well can understand about what actually the the rules will implement and then what it will actually um, have on a small business. Are there any associations that the uh that, that companies like yours, uh, like Tandem, involved in both payroll as well as HR uh, a- administration, uh, are are all involved in. And, and I'm curious what the industry is saying about what's going on here in Illinois with everything relating to the budget. Obviously, taxes going up. That's something that employers have to implement on on their employees' uh, paychecks immediately. What what Across the industry, what do people say about what's going on locally? Is this still a a strong business climate? And uh, I'm I'm curious uh, the feedback that you get. Absolutely. So uh, so we think it's uh, you know it it, it uh, is a great time to be an employer of small business in Chicago. We we strongly encourage small businesses out there to to team with companies like Tandem to to team with a professional employer organization. Um, so you can get your information from. You can look to. Um, companies like ours that actually try to keep up with all the industry updates. So um, we look to companies like, or we look to associations like SHRM, um, also the National Association of PEOs, which we're a member of, um, to keep up to date on some of these hot, hot topic items. Absolutely. There's a lot to uh, to follow. So, uh, Greg, uh, Tandem uh, Services, you just uh, talked a little bit about some of the small businesses, but what's the range of size of companies that uh, that the team at Tandem is, is, is working with? Sure. So, um, our, our kind of sweet spot is that, you know, 10 employee mark all the way up to we've got a, a client that's about 400 employees. So um, really in the the 10 to 200 or so is is right about kind of the sweet spot of, of who actually should be really looking and considering a PEO. And I know uh, we'll continue the conversation in, in just a few minutes. We've got to take a quick break in, in about a minute um, and we'll talk a little bit about some of the uh, most recent uh, acts that uh, that that are in discussion regarding the IRS, and we'll talk a little bit about PEOs. Um, so we'll we'll certainly uh, demystify that term uh, quite a bit. 
but uh, it's really fascinating uh, the the types of businesses that you're working with. I know uh, one of your clients that has come on the air with us. Uh, I know you actually have one of uh, your tandem uh, consultants that actually are sort of stationed at their office. Absolutely, uh, yeah. and so so you deal with the small businesses that uh, that are really. Uh, having a cost savings by partnering with Tandem, as well as some companies that are having cost savings by actually bringing your consultants in-house. Really fascinating diversity over there. There's lots of different ways that we can help, and uh, we're looking for new ways every day to help. So Greg Foss, Senior Director of Operations at Tandem HR. Um, we'll be continuing the conversation with you in just a few moments. Certainly check out Tandem's website, tandemhr.com. Beautiful new website, great blog, great content, great information. We'll be right back after this quick break to continue our conversation with Greg Foss. Back here in studio with Greg Foss, Senior Director of Operations at Tandem HR. And uh, Greg, you are uh, the most knowledgeable person, uh, or at least here in studio, the most knowledgeable person about the uh, the world of, uh, of HR. And, and certainly, uh, all kidding aside, uh, Tandem has been quite involved in educating the business community. Clients and non-clients, it really doesn't matter. That beautiful new website of yours, great blog, great information. I know here on the air, we benefit and we appreciate all of the information that your team has been providing. And I know our listeners do as well. So many, many thanks for that. But there's something interesting going on. We, we've talked a little bit about some of the Cook County-related issues. We talked uh, uh, about, obviously, the Affordable Care Act. But there's something called the Small Business Efficiency Act, SBEA. Uh, Greg, what is that all about? Sure. It's, uh, the SBEA was assigned... Back in late 2014, it was supposed to take effect in uh, 2016, but after some delays, uh, 2017, and it's finally taken effect. What it is is it sets up a, a certification program for PEOs from the IRS. So the IRS allows PEOs to send in some information to get approved um, to become a certified PEO and, and essentially um, to have uh, the, the IRS say that, that we've done some inspections um, of the certified PEO. What ultimately comes down to is federal tax payments. So when a small business signs up with a PEO, uh, they essentially the IRS is saying, as long as you pay the PEO, we will now, uh, all the liability uh, related to any of your federal tax payments will be with the PEO, so you can go home, rest at night, and know that you're, you're paid from a federal tax perspective. Is this something that Tandem HR supports? Absolutely. So we uh, received our letters on June 1st um, of this year that we were officially a certified PEO. So it's a uh, Exciting news for us. That, that's very exciting. So I know on, on this program, we've talked quite a bit about uh, about PEOs, professional employer organizations, and its benefits to small businesses. But specifically, what does this mean for, for the PEO industry? What does this mean for the clients of Tandem HR? How ultimately what everybody cares about is how does this help me? Sure. So, so what it means is essentially that we are now in the IRS tax code. So when new rules, when new laws come out, um, especially related to anything related to federal employment taxes, um, PEOs will more than likely be mentioned. So PEOs are going to get a lot more exposure um, when when any of these things types types of uh, new rules come out. Um, so essentially, what it is is it's going to get some more exposure. Um, more small businesses out there will start to understand what a PEO is, um, and hopefully, um, you know, reach out and and and. Uh, try to focus on what they do best, which is grow their business and leave the HR compliance and payroll piece to, to PEO. So the act is called the Small Business Efficiency Act. So I, I guess it's a, uh, it's a presumption that, that, that uh, small businesses will benefit from this. Is this a trend that small businesses are starting to embrace of enrolling with a PEO like Tandem HR 
uh, as opposed to trying to do things on their own. Uh, many businesses, it's uh, certainly an understatement to say that many small businesses, including the, you know, the federal government, I've always had an issue with how small businesses are defined, the size of small business, and it's uh, a, you know a whole topic for itself. But small businesses often don't have the resources to have many of their uh, administrative uh, functions able to be handled in-house, certainly following the regulatory environment, is more than a full-time job. So is this something that you're starting to see small businesses embrace? Absolutely. So if you look at uh, other markets out there, you look at Florida, you look at Texas, California, the term PEO and the, the PEO market penetration is is just uh, completely different than here in Illinois. So um, it, it absolutely is a growing trend. Um, what the SBEA does as well is really shows that the IRS is starting to embrace the trend as well. Um, the IRS really doesn't want to have to go to each small business and ask about their employment taxes and ask about, hey, can you help reconcile some things? They also want to talk with an expert when they're actually trying to um, determine what's going on from an audit perspective. So they're actually recognizing that, that we, we would much rather go speak with the experts, um, go in, get our, get our work done, get everything reconciled, rather than have to go um, and really and knock on the, the doors of the mom and pop shops and, and look like the bad guys who are coming to, to collect. So um, it, it's, it's certainly a growing trend and so, certainly something that uh, we're hoping that more people come, become familiar with in Illinois. It's interesting. The IRS is so understaffed and under-resourced, so uh, that makes a lot of sense uh, that they uh, to sort of consolidate that and actually embrace this idea that, yes, PEOs are out there, and that will actually, if they can recognize that, that, that will make their job easier. Uh, I know uh, a good friend of the program uh, who's certainly listening tonight, a CPA, has, uh, has come on the air and talked quite a bit about how the IRS is one of those agencies that for every dollar that's put towards the agency, it actually produces money, more revenue for the government. So uh, she's been advocating for more resources for, uh, for the IRS. And this is a great idea of a great efficiency. But you, you mentioned a moment ago, Greg, the, uh, how this hopefully will, uh, you know, on a state level, uh, this, will, this will start to have an impact. Is this something that a similar bill, a similar act should, should likely be filed on a state-by-state level as well to sort of model itself after the Federal Small Business Efficiency Act? That's the goal. Um, the, the goal is obviously to take this one step further um, and to really have state, state local rules as well. So, um, you know, the, the federal government's always kind of where to start. And what the essentially the goal would be is to, to go to each state and say, hey, look what the federal government did. Um, you know, they, these are the benefits. This is what you can benefit for at the state level if you really embrace the same concept as well. Um, to, to uniform the entire process. Well, Greg, we, we've got to work slowly because uh, here in Illinois, we just passed the budget for, after three years. So uh, I assume we could have this conversation, hopefully, hopefully over the next few years. But all kidding aside, it's, it's certainly something that will make it easier on small businesses. That's what the show is all about. Greg, we are out of time. I want to make sure our listeners can uh, find your team at Tandem uh, so they can uh, hopefully have all their questions answered. Greg, how can people reach you? Absolutely. TandemHR.com uh, website. You can go find out what a PEO is, um, as well as the phone number 630-928-0510. Absolutely. 630-928-0510. Check out that website that Greg just mentioned, TandemHR.com. Wealth of knowledge, wealth of information. And certainly as the SBEA, the Small Business Efficiency Act, uh, is uh, hopefully replicated here in Illinois. I know our listeners will be looking for, uh, for, for to your team for more information. We'll be right back with more tips, advice, and information here on the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back to Get Down to Business. We are the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. You could get on my website, shalomkline.com. That's where you can download podcasts from the over three years of shows here on Get Down to Business. Be sure to tweet me at shalomkline. Let me know what you thought of today's fantastic lineup of guests, Colleen Sen, and her fantastic uh, book about street food. As well as uh, we spoke with Brian Van Flandern, the uh, the man who the Food Network has called uh, America's top mixologist, and finally Greg Foss from Tandem HR. Fantastic conversations. So briefly, as we uh, wrap up our evening's broadcast, I just want to talk a little bit about assumptions and uh, and how three entrepreneurs' assumptions were recently tr- challenged. Assumptions are and always have been vital to our survival since ancient times. We've made assumptions that have kept us alive while hunting our food, exploring new territories, or driving our car. But while influenced by our ego, assumptions are harmful and they prevent us from doing our best. Knowing when to set assumptions aside is essential to business success. So uh, I want to talk to you. I want to give you three very, very quick examples. Darlene recently had a brief, friendly phone call with a potential customer. Unfortunately, the prospect had to end the call quickly due to a scheduled meeting, but agreed to a day and time later that week to speak with Darlene again. But when Darlene called at the chosen time, prospect was not available. Darlene is sure that this means that they're not interested. So while there's a slim possibility that Darlene is correct, but it's very slim, most decision makers are too busy today to shy away from saying no when that's their answer. So by assuming the answer is no and not continuing to call, Darlene will illustrate her lack of belief in herself and perhaps in her product. She will lose that prospect completely. I guarantee it. Mac has been in touch with the prospect for over a year. The prospect's company was purchased over two years ago, and this senior manager who's worked with Mac in the past has clearly communicated a need for Mac's training as part of the company's new growth strategy. A lot of time has been spent on the phone, and Mac has traveled over three hours to attend a two-hour meeting at the prospect's office. The prospect has even requested that a statement of intent for signature be prepared but no training dates have been set and no formal paperwork signed. But recently, the prospect has not returned any of Mac's calls, and Mac is thinking that this is no longer a sale. Mac's training is expensive. While his prospect is a senior manager, she's not the final decision maker. The decision makers have owned the company for only two years. And so it's well within the realm of possibility that they're looking at budgets very critically. And Max contact wants the training, but have, likely hasn't yet received approval. She's not returning the calls because she, she often doesn't have news to share. So Mac needs to continue to follow up, but can limit the calls to every few weeks or even once a month by saying, I'm just calling to follow up. If anyone has any questions or comments about the training we talked about, do let me know. Otherwise, I'll stay in touch. That's scenario number two about assumptions. Final scenario, Roland's company is launching a new product. That will allow personal trainers to offer more services to each of their clients. Roland recently spent an hour on the phone with a trainer who was very excited about the app and willing to be a beta tester. They agreed that Roland could drop by the gym that week to install and demonstrate the program. But the day before the meeting, an assistant called and canceled the meeting on behalf of the trainer, citing a personal matter. Roland hasn't reached the trainer and is positive that there will never be an opportunity and there likely was never an opportunity in the first place. So I have to say it would be very rare for someone to spend an hour on the phone discussing a product or a service and then completely change their mind. Possible, of course, but unlikely. Having someone else call to cancel the meeting is a strong indication that something did indeed happen in that person's life that prevented them from taking the meeting. It's vital then that Roland continue to follow up perhaps once or twice a week to demonstrate his belief in the product and the desire to serve the trainer. So what assumptions are you making? What 
Is that costing you? All those stories that I just mentioned, those are all real stories. I gathered them all over online because I wanted to talk about this. I had a, a bit of a uh, of a scenario with a client that faced some rejection over the past week, and it's important to manage your assumptions. I like to think of myself as a realist, not an optimist, not a pessimist, a realist, so it's constantly important to set your expectations in line. Hope you find that helpful in your week ahead. So you've listened to a fantastic uh, another week of Get Down to Business. Tune in next Sunday. Well, we've got a fantastic lineup. More guests about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. We'll be back next Sunday at 6 p.m. Until then, check out my website, ShalomKlein.com. Follow me on Twitter, at ShalomKlein. To success, let's get down to business. We'll talk to you next Sunday at 6 p.m. Have a great week. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.